The Start. On Demand. demand. Almost as bright as the smile on Jeff Forche's face. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Loren McNabb, good morning. You know what? I think we really need to find a way to get Forche in on some uh, FaceTime or Zoom action. It's like sunshine (laughs) in the morning, that face. He is. He's walking sunshine. I'll I'll take it. I haven't seen that face since, what, March 17th, I think. Oh, my word. It's it's been months. It's (laughs) been months. I know. I know. It's crazy. So can I say this, Loren? Happy Manitoba Day. Happy Manitoba Day-ish. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was May 12th was Manitoba Day. You know what? We're going to get a history lesson this morning because we're actually bringing on a historian and, and other guests will join uh, CJOB throughout the day because technically May 12th is Manitoba Day. But today, July 15th, 150 years ago is when it became official, when Manitoba officially entered Confederation. And so there'll be celebrations. There's going to be fireworks from what I'm reading in different communities across Manitoba, uh, hosted by the Manitoba Métis Federation. So celebrations will be underway today. And if you're asking why or you have that confusion, stay tuned. We're going to clear up a bit of our history and and also acknowledge uh, some of the rights and wrongs of our past. There's lots to be proud of and, and lots we still need to work on, Greg. Well, and uh, that's a sign of a progressive uh, society, isn't it? When you admit your faults and uh, realize what's going on, uh, recognize your history, good, bad, and otherwise, and uh, move forward from that. Uh, at 6.45, as we do every morning, we're going to gather together, all of us uh, who are here working this morning. It'll be uh, myself and Loren, along with Jeff Forche, Jeff Braun, and Kelly Moore, whose voices you'll hear throughout the morning, and we're going to de- uh, discuss rather and get that word out based on the fact that it's officially Manitoba's 150th birthday today. Your favorite roadside attractions, the big things that you see around Manitoba, typically in small towns. I don't know why Winnipeg doesn't have anything, but that's an aside. And uh, yeah, we want to hear from you. Uh, what's your favorite or one of your favorite? I'm I'm talking. I posted on on Twitter, Loren, a picture of uh, the big. Um, Mosasaur, the world's largest Mosasaur, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in, in Morden. Morden. And then Sarah the Camel in Glenborough, the big windmill in Holland, and the Eddie Belfour sign uh, just outside Carmen. Just that was part of a little road trip that uh, me and the boys did last summer, the boys and I, the boys and me. I, I don't even know how we're supposed to say that anymore. And uh, I want to know what your favorite roadside attraction sign or big thingy is in Manitoba. And how often have you passed that roadside attraction and thought, what's the story here? Mm. I, I'll, I'll confess to passing Sarah the Camel in Glenboro until I just sort of checked myself and realized the geography and you're not far from uh, the sand, Spirit Sands in Spruce Woods, that you're like, right, desert, camel. But there are times you'll pass things like the pumpkin in Roland mm-hmm. or maybe the giant turtle in Boisevain and think, what's what's going on here? What is this? What's the history in this town? So let's have some fun with that because we've got some serious stuff today to discuss as well, Greg. For sure. And by the way, that turtle in Boys Vane does have a name. Tommy? That's right. His name is Tommy. Uh, Portage Place, a $400 million uh, redevelopment. And as you've been hearing in news already this morning, you may have heard it yesterday on the news with Richard and Julie, that $400 million redevelopment plan is in jeopardy. Starlight Developments from Toronto wants 60 That's $60 million from the three levels of government. That's like 20% 
No, it's not. It's 15% of the overall cost of this project. Too much, Loren? Well, it, it depends on how you're going to look at it. it. They came in. It's not a surprise that a developer is going to come into a community and say, we, we are willing to spend $400 million, but we'd like some contributions from the government. So that's not uncommon. The question isn't, is the $60 million too much. Right now, we're talking more about process. And I know when you say that, your eyes might glaze over, but think about this. They're asking for $20 million from each level of government. The city has responded from how we understand it by saying, no, nope, we're not going to give you $20 million. We will give you five. They didn't let Starlight know that that was the response, as far as we understand. Starlight, as far as we understand, learned that this is the response via the city's webpage. So there was no talk or negotiation or back and forth. And so now the question has to be asked, sure, we do need to be concerned about how much public dollars go into investments like this, but I think we can all agree that something needs to be done with Portage Place. And so how did we get from $20 million contribution from the city to five? And why wasn't there any back and forth between these two? Is it just, is this how we're going to do business? That You heard Janice Lukes, the news run with Jeff Braun, outraged that this is how this would go down. There's the question about the money, sure, but there's process issues going on here. If this is how we're going to work with people who want to come into this city and do some good. Speaking of process, Vivian Santos, the city councillor for Point Douglas, the Winnipeg Police Service wouldn't clear her to be a member of the Winnipeg Police Board. They won't tell her why. She's a little bit outraged and she can't figure out why in the heck she got turned down for this position and why she's been ruled ineligible. So she stepped away. This is opening a bigger can of worms and conversation for me. And this whole idea of if I get turned down for a job, I apply for a job. It's all sorts of background checks that a prospective employer may do on me. How much do I deserve to know about why I get turned down for a job? And have you ever asked that question? So we're going to have that chat at 637, Greg, because I'm sure there are many of us who have applied for either a new job or maybe a promotion within your company or your place of work, and you've been turned down or told that the timing wasn't right. Were you given a further explanation? Are you owed that explanation? And then is there a different level when it comes to people who are serving in the public realm? Are they owed more of an explanation because of how they're putting themselves out there? And there might be a line here for some people, Greg, in terms of what answers are deserved in this circumstance. Okay, weather. A few weeks ago, we confirmed that it wasn't your imagination, that it was a windier than usual (laughs) set of days. Well, guess what? It might not be warmer than usual. Then again, it may be, but it's Inarguable. We are having the nicest summer in the West by a mile. We'll tell you about that later on this morning. Mackling McNabb, Forche, Braun, Moore on this Wednesday morning. It is Manitoba's 150th year starting like right now. As a province in Manitoba. I know Manitoba Day is May 12th, but Loren, we're going to let people know why today is sort of officially our birthday. Yeah, and I'm going to count on the historian we're bringing on and U of M professor at 807 to do a far better job than I am going to do right now of explaining this. But May 12th is when we decided we were going to enter Confederation as a province. So there it was an act, a law that was created July 15th, 150 years ago today is when that act was officially proclaimed. So technically, today's the day for those celebrations. And like I said, you're going to see fireworks in different communities, uh, maybe different sorts of celebrations and all sorts of questions about our past and future, Greg. Jeff Braun, 
What is the big thing, the mascot, the roadside attraction in Altona? It is the Vincent Van Gogh painting of sunflowers. I guess he did several. And they've got a 75-foot replica on a giant steel easel on the edge of town. You can see it. It's it's, it's pretty mind-boggling, actually. It's just it's huge, right? A lot of these things are very big. And it's been there for, I don't know, it wasn't there when I lived there, but it's been there for the last 20 or 25 years for sure. Now, I've not seen it with my own two eyes, but it is, uh, by all accounts, extremely impressive. Uh, would you consider it impressive, Braun? Oh, yeah. I think it's uh, it's every town likes to have their little cool thing or whatever, and instead of a, a giant animal of some sort, it uh, <laughs> brings a touch of class to Eltona, Manitoba. So is that your favorite uh, roadside attraction in Manitoba, or have you got one that's uh, oh. that you like better? No, no, I was definitely going to say the Van Gogh. Oh, fantastic. He has to. There'd be uproar, and he'd be, he'd be ostracized <laughs> from ever going home again, Ron. Yeah, on that easel might be a big Absolutely. sign, Jeff Braun, not welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come back, son. Go uh, home, Jeff. <laughs> how about you, Kelly Moore? I know you're a BC guy. Did your, did your home, hometown have something like that? Who has the, uh, the world's largest hockey stick that was uh, in uh, Expo 86? That's been moved now, right? Yeah, I believe that's in Victoria. I know in Kamloops where uh, I, I didn't necessarily grow up, but I went to work at a very early age and stayed there for a long time. Uh, they are the tournament capital of Canada uh, because they uh, hosted more events than any other uh, city in the, in the in the country. Uh, and as far as Manitoba, and I still remember this from the very first time we drove uh, into, we were on our way into Winnipeg. I remember seeing that sign for the Surus Swinging Bridge. I've never walked across it. I've never even gone to see it. But it's funny, as soon as you guys said, you know, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, that i got to take a day trip out to Surus and see that bridge. I, I, I've, I've seen that sign, I don't know how many times, driving back and forth in the summertime to BC. So this year, uh, uh, definitely have to, to make a trip out to Surus for that. Loren, what is your favorite? Well, I do have to go with the one we pass by so regularly, which is Gladstone's Happy Rock, because I love that play on words. It just makes me laugh. Although, I was thinking this morning, I don't know if I've actually ever stopped at the Happy Rock. Shame on you. driven past it hundreds of times, it feels like. I always say to the kids, wave to the Happy Rock. And then I I feel like I have to add the explanation. You get it? Because it's the Gladstone. So therefore, it's Happy Rock. But uh, yeah, that would be on my list for sure. Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love Happy Rock, and he does look genuinely very happy. He is uh, very welcoming on Highway 16 just before uh, Nipawa, so between Nipawa and Portage La Prairie. He's almost worth the trip up to that part of the province alone, but so many neat things to see along the way. What about you, Forche? You know, I was was having issues trying to think, and you know what? I need to get out more. Uh, But I did spend some time up in Flon, and they did have that statue... Uh, what's his name? It's uh, I always get it Flint wrong. Flint to There you go. I remember him. Yeah, I did my internship out there. Uh, you know what? I, I got to get out more. That's what I have to do. So this whole segment, I was also looking up, and I want to see this giant Coca-Cola can that's in Portage La Prairie. Right. I want to see that. Okay. 
we've got the giant mosquito in Camarno. We've got uh, the Roland pumpkin. And one of our listeners uh, said something interesting on text about the Roland pumpkin, Loren. Yeah, they've let us know that their dad helped build it. So I was looking for some more information because Roland is also the birthplace of 4-H. I always have to make that plug. But they have the pumpkin growing contest there every year. So they have a giant metal pumpkin on the side of the road that, you know, kind of lures you in to stop and take a picture beside. Some of these things make sense, Greg. Like when you look in the history behind them, you know, Millet um, is known as the banana belt. There's the desert near Glenboro. And then there are genuine questions about why, you know, statues exist in certain communities. Like, I don't know why that Coke can is in Portage La Prairie. Does anyone? Was there a Coke factory there at one point? Couldn't tell you. Did, it, did they drink the most Coke in Manitoba? Like, oh, you're talking Silence. about Coca-Cola. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, let's start rumors about Portage La Prairie. Jeff Braun, it sounded like you wanted to jump, wanted to jump in on something at one point there. No, I, I was just going to make a stupid joke about uh, an, an amused boulder in Colorado, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's the supersized fire hydrant in Elm Creek, and then there are Sam and Sarah, the snakes in Inwood, of course, the home of the the famous uh, garter snake pits. And, okay, the the banana in Melita is named... Sunny. Sunny. Very original. (laughs) What's sunny in Melita? When I used to work at the TV in Konkin, Mike Konkin would give the weather forecast. Every single day, I was like, what is the deal with Melita? Every day, always just sunny and Melita. I always remember growing up that it was Gretna that seemed to be the hot spot in Manitoba and Canada quite often. Holy moly! Does Manitoba have a ton of roadside attractions? Some of I thought I knew all of them. Yeah, no, 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 no. They are pouring in at 780-6868. Winnipeg Beach has the big Anishinaabe totem pole. The Sturgeon in Dominion City. Holy crow, is it ever cool? One of our listeners says, yeah, there was a satellite warehouse for Coca-Cola in Portage La Prairie. No bottling plant. Uh, Jeff Forche saying he wants to see the giant uh, Coke can there. Uh the Orbit garbage cans. Remember those, Loren? Oh, yeah. Those were fantastic. Manitoba only. And the halfway tree between Winnipeg and Brandon. I think there is a, a debate over. There's one on the north side of the Transcanna, one on the south side. About it's the which, south side tree, people. Yeah, exactly. It is the south side Let's tree. Let's not argue about this. Of all things, do not argue about the halfway tree. And the halfway okay? tree has its own Facebook page, by the way, if oh, you'd yeah. like to join it. And from <laughs> Adam, did you read this on text, Loren? I'm just catching up to all these now, so go for it. No. Stop giving away all the roadside attractions. Get this. We have a game going on. Friends of ours organized about 40 of us to see who can take the most selfies in front of them. There is money at stake, and my family is in third at the moment. It's a great way to see the province. Wow. That is Manitoban. You got to call in at some point today and tell us a little bit more about this, Adam. So let us know if you're listening. Shoot us a text again. We'll give you a shout. I'd love to hear more about this. I think this is fantastic. And it reminds me of all the times I've passed these attractions and not stop. Take five minutes. Take the time to stop and smell the flowers or the rock or the camel or the banana (laughs) or the mosquito. High five the rock. That's a long way up to uh, 
to High Five Happy Rock. Hey, we start this hour with weather. It's been a glorious summer, yet started out very windy. We confirmed that it was the windiest spring in about 30 years earlier. And uh, the Weather Network put out this interesting graphic yesterday. Now, Loren, you've been doing, you, you like to double check stuff, but the Weather Network says this that uh, they've compared all the major cities across Canada with regard to how many days above 25 degrees there have been uh, this summer so far. Montreal leads the way with 38. Toronto, or pardon me, Toronto has 39. Montreal has 38. Winnipeg, 36. How many according to your account? That's exactly right. I went back and looked at Environment Canada's data. So 39 for Toronto, 38 days above 25 for Montreal, 36 for Winnipeg. Then I went, so that puts us in the top three in the country for days above 35. Then I went looking at Western Canada. By my count, there's only a handful of days between Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, rather, and Vancouver that got above 25. And so we have them beat Big time. And then I just, out of curiosity, went looking for days above 30 because we saw so many of those this month and in late June. On average, Winnipeg gets 13 days above 30, Greg. So far this year, we've had 10. Wow. We've got, we've got like half July and all of August to go through. Senior climatologist David Phillips joins us now from Environment Canada. David, uh, you declared uh, Winnipeg the, the summer of the year, I believe it was last year. Are we on, on did, Greg. are we on track to be the summer of uh, the country again this year? I think so. Gosh, when you look at it, I think those numbers now it depends. If you can, if you look at twenty four point nine, you get a few more days than uh, than just the number that um, uh, that Loren talked about. But hey, no question about it. Um, you you typically, I've counted thirty seven of those suckers. Those what I call beer drink outdoor beer drinking days. You know, <laughs> twenty five for a high, and um, and normally you'd get about uh, about twenty three by this time of the year, and you've had thirty six, thirty seven. Those are, and uh, and and you know days above thirty. You're going to get another one this week. Come Friday, this is not the 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 end of it. We're really not even at the dog days of summer yet. That doesn't come till about July 28th, which I think is kind of the halfway point. But you know, guys, it it, it really even gets better than that. So you've got a lot of beer drinking days. The nights have been yes a little warmer than normal, but not not really well above normal. So sleeping is pretty good. And you take some of those eastern cities like. Montreal, Ottawa, Hamilton, Toronto. I mean, they've had humidex values of 44. I mean, the highest humidex value I saw in Winnipeg this summer was 37 back in uh, in in June. And and precipitation, my gosh, it's either you get no rain, and so you have real drought situations, or you get you actually get it's the water torture test. You like in Edmonton, you get just day after day, week after week. In Winnipeg, you've had maybe two thirds of your normal precipitation, so that's going to keep farmers and gardeners uh, uh, happy. I mean, you've, you had, Brandon had more in nine hours than you had in three months. So you kind of stayed away from those those uh, Texas gully washers, and the number of wet days is below what you normally would get. I think it's the perfect 10. I mean, the temperatures are, are what you want for the summertime. Um, the humidity is, is generally a little lower than you'd expect, and you've had an adequate amount of moisture. Is there any place that you should be other than in Winnipeg? I think you just, I, we almost should end it right there, David. I don't know if there's any other place you should no, be by... But- <laughs> 
but Lauren, the thing, I, I, I think, Lauren, the, I think that the feeling in Winnipeg is this right now. Oh, no. Oh, oh gosh. We're going to pay for this. We've had all our great summer at the beginning, and now we'll probably get frost in July, snow in August. I mean, that's just the way it works. Not. I mean, there's a certain thing called persistence in weather. What you see is what you're going to get. And I looked at the models, and they say, you know, the second half of summer could be just as delightful as the first half. It's not as if you're going to be pay for this kind of gorgeous weather that you've got. We, Our models suggest that it's going to be warmer than normal in southern Manitoba. Precipitation-wise, always tough to get that right, but we consider it to be normal precipitation. So my sense is the glorious weather continues. You're not going to pay for this. And this week, I mean, you take those days above 25, six of those seven days in the next week are going to be of 25. You're just going to keep adding to the to the remarkable string of, of summer-like weather that you had there's there's clearly the middle of the continent is the place to be and there's where winnipeg is yeah five active cases of covid19 and the best weather on the prairies the best weather in western canada maybe right across the country david we always love having you on where is your hometown by the way well, I live in north of Toronto in Barrie on the water, I, so uh, I can avoid the kind of heat of the urban heat island of Toronto, but uh, a few comforting breezes. But hey, even I can't extol the virtues of my community compared to Winnipeg. Where, is that where you're born and raised? Well, I was born in Windsor, Ontario, which is the thunderstorm capital of Canada, probably why I got interested in the weather, but uh-huh. um, I, I actually live north of Toronto, yes. I, I heard the wind there in half a second. I thought, he's a Winnipegger. I'm going to pretend that's all I heard was the wind, <laughs> and we'll leave it at that, David. <laughs> David Phillips, senior climatologist, all-around great guy, uh, personality celebrity, always uh, gracing us uh-huh. so gracefully <laughs> with his presence here on The Start. Thank you, friend. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Lauren. Forche, I'm noticing the Manitoba music this morning. Very good. Some more Watchmen here this morning. I heard Harlequin earlier. Manitoba 150 will tell you exactly why it's today and not May 12th. And tomorrow, Lauren, I love this gentleman, John Anderson. He is an expert on music, in particular Manitoba music. He's going to join us, and we're going to talk about the top Manitoba music acts of all time. We'll touch on Neil Young, the Guess Who, Burton Cummings, BTO, Randy Backman, but some of the maybe lesser-known Manitoba Mm -hmm. acts that have had an impact worldwide on the music stage. And with that conversation, Greg, let's take some nominations now from our listeners for our Small Town Salute. Every Thursday at 7.37, we visit a small town here on CJOB and speak to people from that town. Well, give us your town and their connection maybe to a musician. Neil Young, Song of Cypress River, Tom Cochran and Lynn Lake. What else you got, Manitoba? Let us know. We'll maybe reach out to your community. We are also taking your text messages on your favorite roadside attractions, the big things, the mascots. Cat and Gimli, who's always so active on our text message machine, uh, points out Sam and Sarah, the Garter Snake uh, statue in Inwood, the Mosquito and Camarno, the Lundar Goose, the Arberg Curling Rock, the Poplar Field, the King Buck, the Asher and Sharp-Tailed Grouse, and the Riverton Moose. Do you know what all those roadside attractions have in common? No. They're in the interlake. Oh. 
Cat says East or West, the Interlake has the quirkiest, most fun attractions. And uh, we read this earlier, but in case you're just tuning in, we want to read it again. This is from listener Adam. He says, stop giving away all the roadside attractions. We have a game going on. Friends of ours organized about 40 of us to see who can take the most selfies in front of them. There's money at stake and my family is in third at the moment. Great way to see the province. And another one of our listeners uh, mentioned Orbit Garbage Cans and we had a little bit of a chat about Orbit Garbage Cans and he imagines a big pile of them in a farmer's field somewhere a la the the graveyard for uh, aircraft in Nevada. Hmm, just a bunch of orbits or orbitses, whatever orbitses? the plural is there. <laughs> well size. Done. Well done, McNabb. McNabb and Mackling with you. And to start this hour, we are going to talk about Manitoba 150. Yeah, if you hear a few loud bangs around 1045 tonight, Greg, don't be alarmed. Uh, the sky is going to light up in honor of Manitoba's 150th. The Métis Federation, Manitoba's Métis Federation, is hosting simultaneous fireworks, as I understand it, and more than a dozen dozen different cities and towns so winnipeg the paw st laurent portage and more they're all getting in on the fireworks action why may 12th is technically manitoba day but 150 years ago july 15th it was made official gerald friesen is professor emeritus at the u of m and joins us now good morning gerald good morning okay so 150 years ago today what happened the government of canada announced and manitoba accepted that Manitoba was in Confederation. So we joined Canada officially on this day. So we sort of got our birth certificate today. We were born May 12th in in spirit, and uh, we got the documentation on July 15th. Those two are both correct, but the crucial date is neither of those. Oh, great. (laughs) The, the, The crucial date is June 24, when the people of Red River, Assiniboia District, their legislature passed the Manitoba Act. In other words, they approved entering Canada on June 24. So there's a couple days to keep in mind in the calendar now, Gerald. On this day, this is a really important day for our Métis community as well. Explain who was in charge on this day and then what happened afterwards. Okay, Louis Riel was in charge. He was the president of that district of Assiniboia, The Legislative Assembly had sat and passed the Act on June 24, and then it adjourned, although some guys went and had a big, big drunk, actually. Uh, And then on July 15, Riel was still in charge. He was at the Upper Fort, Upper Fort Gary. He was, uh, in fact, I looked up a diary just for you. Nothing of importance happened on July 15, I am happy to tell you except that some Americans went to a pub down at the corner of Portage and Maine, and the police had to come and uh, keep the peace. (laughs) Well, if that happened today, uh, the police might need to be uh, called to keep the peace as well, because uh, lots of people text messaging us, why am I seeing American license plates in Manitoba? Well, that's another story I can tell you. (laughs) President Riel had to prepare because a visitor, a group of visitors, was coming from Red Lake. Anishinaabe were arriving, and so he had to get together a bunch of presents, tobacco and other presents, because they were going to arrive at the upper fort. 
So that was what was going on 150 years ago, Gerald. Exactly. S- since then, you know, we have to acknowledge and remember that this might be a 150th an anniversary to acknowledge, but the story of Manitoba began long before 1870. And for members of our Métis community or Indigenous community, there's also the need to look back on what became what came long before that and recognize that not all of it is worth celebrating. Exactly. There were Métis around this district for 100 years before that, and therefore you could talk about a Métis community here a century before 1870. And there were First Nations here for 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 years. They've dug up a campsite at the Forks. A guy named Sid Croker dug that up about 20 years ago. And so they talk about a 3,000-year-old campsite at the Forks. Fascinating stuff. So uh, as we uh, recognize this day, uh, we acknowledge the fact that uh, Louis Riel didn't see it as a big deal, but we're going to have some fireworks anyway. That okay with you, Gerald? This is when we joined Canada, so it's perfectly right to celebrate today. Well, we appreciate your insight. Absolutely fascinating stuff. I'm sorry we don't have more time with you. Uh, Come back and visit us again. Thank you. We'd love to have you. Gerald Friesen, Professor Emeritus at the University of Manitoba. Fascinating stuff, McNabb. Yeah, you know, it's always good to look back like this and even just recognize that there's dates that we put in the calendar that, as he said, nothing of significance happened on this day. Then he threw out another date of July 24th. And then even more important, Métis uh, in this community 100 years before 1870. And of course, uh, our Indigenous community here for thousands of years before that. So lots to look back on and reflect. Well, speaking of uh, thousands of years, I don't know exactly when the Vikings came to North America. They they think it's well before Christopher Columbus. We have Vikings in the interlake. And Kat and Gimli listed off all the incredible roadside attractions, big things, and mascots. Uh-oh. She forgot the Viking <laughs> in Gimli. Hat. Our friend Uliana, who listens on a regular basis, pointed that out to us. Loren, have we established whether or not uh, you prefer David Lee Roth Van Halen or Sammy Hagar Van Halen? Ooh, that is a good question. Mm. I don't have an answer for you on that right now. I, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, David Lee. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, let me caution you. Yeah. Your answer may dictate the future of our friendship. Oh, well, then I'm going with uh, the opposite of whatever you like, and we'll just call it a day right now. <laughs> so you're going with DLR, are you? <laughs> I think so. I think so. 780-6868. Do you prefer Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth Van Halen? Or maybe it's neither. Uh, you can weigh in on that. Uh, I'll tell you what you have been weighing in on. You've been reminding us about all the roadside attractions and quirky statues, the mascots across Manitoba. There are a ton of them. And one of our text messages came from Adam earlier this morning. And, and Loren, Adam's going to join Kathy Kennedy later on this afternoon. Yeah, and he's got this great story because we were talking about, you know, the Happy Rock and Sarah the Camel, Sunny the Banana, the Mosquito uh, up north, and all these different roadside attractions. And he said to us, please stop talking about these. You're rooting this for us because they have a competition. Uh, I think it's with 40 different family and friends 
to take the most selfies next to these Manitoba roadside attractions. Apparently, there's even money on this one, Greg. It's, you know, there's money up for grabs. The stakes are high. <laughs> so Adam's going to join Kathy, I believe, just after 3.30 to talk about this journey that he and his friends and family are on. And you know what? I don't think he's going to be alone. There's a ton of people who will make a point to pull over, even just for three minutes, and pose by rolling the pumpkin or the sturgeon, or whatever else catches their attention as they travel through Manitoba. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, great way to celebrate Manitoba. And you might want to study up very quickly on the names of some of those uh, mascots and, and and roadside attractions, because that'll be the subject of our question coming up in about seven, eight minutes time as we have a family pass for the Manitoba Museum. You can go there Monday through Friday, four of you on 680 CGOB, on the Manitoba Museum, free of charge, gratis, however you want to take a look at it. And uh, we'll be opening the phone lines in just a few minutes time. And we'll be asking a very specific question about the name of one of these uh, mascots, one of these roadside attractions in, I'll give you the only hint I'll give you, it's in Manitoba. That's the only hint I'm going to give you right now. Hey, uh, are you ready to go back to school, McNabb? Mm, I don't know. This next class might uh, might have me intrigued because not only is it running through summer, I think it's free if I'm reading things correctly. It's a course created by the School of Indigenous Education at Red River College, and it's all about creating social change. So to tell us more about it, we're joined by Mike Tuthill. He's the instructor behind what's called the Social Innovation and Community Development Program at Red River College, and he joins us now. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Lauren. So as I understand it, this is about, uh, you know, if I, if I want to maybe run for office, be a politician, become an activist, you're looking at helping people create change. Why do we need a course for this? What's this all about? Yeah, so as you mentioned, this is part of the Social Innovation and Community Development Program in the School of Indigenous Education. And the program's actually been around for quite some time. Um, But this summer, we're going to offer a free Social Innovation Foundations course starting next week. And it's a chance for people to check out the program and also to check out uh, the course, uh, as well as online learning. And so online learning is new uh, to many of us as we think about the things that are happening during COVID-19. And so just a chance for people to check out the course uh, and the program. And as you mentioned, the the focus of the course is really on creating social change. So we're looking for anyone that's interested in creating social change. I mean, you mentioned activism or running for office, but sometimes social change is also, you know, someone's grandmother in the community who uh, is just there for everyone or notices things in the community that might need change. And so looking at some of those people who are working either at the local level, nationally or globally at creating change and thinking about what are some of the things that they've done? How have they been successful? How have they not been successful? What are some things we might do differently? Mike, we had uh, Gerald Friesen on, a professor emeritus at the University of Manitoba. We were talking about Manitoba 150 and giving us a tremendous history lesson. How much of moving forward has to do with understanding uh, where we've come from? Uh, I think it's really important. And so if we talk about creating social change, oftentimes we're looking at solutions that might be coming from the community level. And so what we encourage students to do is to look back at some of those things that have been tried before and look at, you know, what's worked and what hasn't worked. How can how can we create the greatest impact not only for our time, but also for our dollars and our communities? 
these are about really important issues. And, and, you know, we talk about that high level stuff, but, but in communities right now, and, and perhaps this conversation has never been more important, Mike. We have Morden, for example, talking about the name of one of its hockey teams and its reflections on Indigenous history and the insult and racism that might be involved there. Edmonton Eskimos, uh, Washington, uh, the NFL team has announced it's changing his name. There's from, from small to very big, these are, conversations that start with one person saying hey i'm not so sure i like what's going on here and we can learn from what each other community or town or or what have you has done and how they found it most effective to bring about that change for sure so we are going to spend some time in this program looking at social movements and as you say they can be something small and local um, or something huge and national in scope and so what we're seeing now is there's been a huge national call for people that are saying something is not working in the way that our system uh, is operating. And then we're seeing at the local level some really tangible things happen in communities to say, wait, there's actually some differences we can be making here and looking at some of the voices of the people who are calling for those changes. Mike, how can we get involved? How do we sign up? Uh, Red River College. So go to rrc.ca. There is a banner on the home screen that will take you directly to the course or rrc.ca slash Indigenous. We really appreciate the insight here and uh, thank you, Red River College, for doing what you do. Michael, thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Michael Tuttle is the instructor behind the Social Innovation and Community Development Program. Uh, kind enough to join us. 9.14 on this Wednesday morning. Uh, you'll be surprised to learn, perhaps, that uh, we got more than a dozen texts on my question, who's better, David Lee Roth? Or Sammy yeah, it Hagar. It sounds like Hagar's the way to go. But they're they're waiting this, I think, on personality, not like just the sound. Okay, I think it's look. got to, to do more with the fact that he made DLR, as you put it, maybe a bit of a a double you know what. Mm, yes, but uh, uh, so the, the, in my mind, they're two separate bands. Like my favorite band is Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. Van Halen with David Lee Roth might be in the top six or seven to me they're two separate bands and and it's uh, they're miles apart in terms of what they did musically in turn that's in my opinion i love when uh listeners come up to the plate and they uh give us their feedback on all the relevant conversations of the day everything from politics to manitoba's mascots big roadside attractions and of course van halen Did we establish it's really officially our birthday or not? <laughs> it was the day that uh, Canada accepted us officially, right? Yeah, when the act proclaiming Manitoba as the fifth province to enter Confederation, it's when it was proclaimed. So May 12th, basically when we decided we're going for it, July 15th when it was officially proclaimed. And then, of course, we had a historian tell us just after 8th that July 24th, was it, is actually more significant for a whole host of other reasons. So... You know what? Pick your day, but this will be. This is a really big day for for many members of Manitoba's community, the Métis community, of course, hosting firework displays at ten forty five ish tonight in a number of different towns and cities. And uh, celebrations will be underway. You'll hear those pops and whistles and bangs and see the skylight up, Greg. Winnipeg, Saint Laurent, Portage La Prairie, amongst other locales, as you mentioned, and uh, the Crash Test Dummies, Manitoba Band. We've been talking about the big roadside attractions, and Roland is the world's largest pumpkin. I don't think he has a name, but Peter could work, I suppose. Peter the pumpkin, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else you'd call a pumpkin. Uh, nothing comes Jack? to me. Uh, uh, Jack, yes. But Jack will lantern. Yeah, but that would only be one day of the year. You could call him Jack. 
maybe it's just O'Lantern on Halloween <laughs> and it's Jack the rest of the year. Can we gracefully uh, shift gears here? I think we should. I think <laughs> we should. <laughs> Let's start this half hour with uh, something I spotted yesterday, a tweet by one of our favorite guests and local authors. Um, it was written by David Robertson and it reads, hey, when we were alone is on the list. Thanks at Conscious Kid LIB. What an amazing resource overall. Well, that caught my attention. And uh, Loren, I need to know more. For sure. So when we were alone, it was written by Winnipeg's own David Robertson. It's about a young girl who starts to ask questions about her grandmother's past. You know, she wears braids, colored clothing, uh, talks about her cultures and traditions and how they were at one point taken away or almost lost through the residential school system. And the book, this book is not only really cool, this list, which is created by Conscious Kid, it's created by an organization that's working to promote racial equity in the classroom. So as you said, Greg, we wanted to learn more about the book, about the list, and of course, about other projects that David has on the go so we asked him to jump on good morning david oh that's me again here we go sorry david i have to bring you on the air i have to press a button to do so i'm so used to brett mcgarry being here to do that good to talk to you david how you doing we're doing all right good thanks for having me on where's brett is he golfing or Yes, but he is on vacation. He's not just gone no, for know. golf, but he does he does like his golf. So well done, David. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. I mean, the goal behind this list, I want to start with that, is it's to give teacher classrooms resources they can turn to. What do you think it is about your book, When We Are Alone, that's so easily digestible for maybe kids and maybe even adults? Well, I think like any, like this book, along with a lot of books on this list, they're all about... Um, reflecting kids, uh, first of all. So we want kids to be able to see themselves in literature. And I think that's one of the things that I've seen with When We Are Alone is uh, one of the first classrooms I read it in was to a classroom mostly full of Cree children in the inner city here in Winnipeg. And, um, and they were all so excited because they were like, they saw themselves and they, heard their, they, saw, they saw their language. And, and that was very empowering for them. And I think like for this list, um, we see books that do that. We see books that are from diverse authors, they're reflecting diverse cultures, and um, and kids get excited to see themselves in literature. And so that's one of the things that I think with when we're, when we're alone um, is you know helps it to be digestible. It helps us kids to you know to learn better, um, to learn um, important uh, aspects of history and contemporary cultures and society. Um, and I think it also just introduces the history in a way that is really. Um, easily digestible. There's, it's not looking to traumatize anybody. It's looking to inform, to generate empathy. Yeah, and I read it to like kindergarten kids all the way up to university students. So it's um, it's been a pretty un- a universally helpful book, I think, in the area of truth and reconciliation. Well, and the other word that jumps to mind when I think about this book is inspire, David. And the whole idea, I think it's such a huge deal for kids to see people who look like them doing the things they dream of doing. Yeah, absolutely. I was just watching some videos this morning from the conscious kid, which is an amazing organization. They also have this campaign that they're involved in, I think called I see me. And it's about talk is about kids seeing themselves in, you know, roles in in hero uh, roles and books in, in roles just like as, as teachers and, and as different professions where they can, they can, you know, they can see themselves as that profession and one of the things that was kind of heartbreaking at the beginning of one of those videos was it was saying draw a scientist and the kid drew you know a, a middle-aged white male 
and it was a, it was a it was a young black girl, and um, and then through the process of introducing these books and you know having them available to kids that are representative of themselves, they start drawing themselves as you know uh, there's there's one where this kid was drawing herself as a black teacher uh, beside a black student, and um, these are so important. These are the books that we want in the classroom. We want them in libraries. We want them you know in kids' backpacks, bring them home to share with their their parents. I mean. Um, there, it's so important because it empowers children. We empower children. We're, we're, we're raising good leaders for tomorrow. And I think that's one of the focuses we need to have today. You raised such a great point about bringing it home to the parents because there's so many conversations taking place in the living rooms of families right now where the parent might be struggling on on how to bring that up, how to appropriately address something so that my kid can understand it and learn from it, because we might even be uncomfortable doing that. And I think that's the next step in it. It's the kids might be the next generation, but hey, maybe they could teach us a few things too. Absolutely, Lauren. That's a great, uh, that's a great point. Uh, we, you know, you and I and Greg and, um, you know, a lot of us who are, you know, older, um, we, we grew up learning different things. And we, we, one of the things that we have to recognize is that we don't have, didn't have access to the types of books and resources that kids have access to today. And the stuff that they're learning, they can teach us. I mean, one of the, one of the best um, moments about when we were alone is uh, when I went to a classroom and, and heard that a, uh, a parent had never heard about residential schools before and their child taught them about that history. And that is such a powerful thing. And, and, it's, and, and that's why these books are so important is because we recognize that kids can be teachers too and they can be very powerful teachers. David, I don't know if we've spoken on the air since the passing of your father. I think it was just over a year ago. And I, I, I know we've interacted, but I just wanted to acknowledge the anniversary of your dad's passing. And I, I know how, how you've been carrying that for the last year or so. Tell us a little bit about Black Water and this memoir that's coming out in the fall and, and what you hope to uh, share with us uh, by publishing it. Oh, thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, he so he, he passed away in December, so it's been... About seven months, and um, yeah, it's, it's been tough. I mean, to to uh, just learn how to live without your dad, um, with your best friend, and you know, for him, he was also a mentor to me. And over the course of the last, particularly thirty years, he taught me so much not about life, but about also just what it meant to be a human being, but also a Cree man. And um, and so that guidance, that journey that we went on is something I talked a lot about when I went on the air or when I went to, you know, PD sessions or I went to go speak in classrooms or, you know, wherever it might be. I always talked about my dad and I. And, um, and then one day a, a professor came up to me after I gave a, a guest lecture. And they said, you really need to write this as a book. And I had never thought about doing that before. And so I, I, I went and approached my, my agent about this idea about writing a memoir and um, and so Blackwater came out of that. And really the book is, it's a documentation of my dad's life, of my life without him as a young man, as a young, as a young child, and then how our relationship helped us both to heal over the course of the last 30 years. Um, and also it documents as well my struggle with mental health. And so it's, it was a really important and cathartic book for me to write. And um, I'm looking forward to having it out in the world because I think it also shows a different sort of roadmap to healing that uh, that I don't think we talk enough about in the terms of uh, reconciliation, truth and reconciliation. Because, you know, our story, even though I have residential school history in my, in my family, our story is really a different kind of story. It's not a story of trauma. It's a story about reconnection, about resiliency, about family, and, and the love that we have for each other and how that builds 
our identities as well and learning about our histories through intergenerational connections. And so it was a really good journey for me to be on and help me to be closer to my dad um, as I was finishing work on it. And, and to be clear for our listeners, David, this journey, it's not just sort of a, a philosophical journey in conversations with your dad. You physically went on the journey back to the trap line that he first started working on, talked about how he was moved to a community where he was not allowed to speak his own language, to speak Cree, all the secrets that had to be kind of kept inside. And so there's the, the, there's the mental part of that journey. And then there's actually just seeing it all for yourself with your dad by your side. Yeah, I mean, when my dad asked me to go to his trap line about two and a half years ago, um, it felt like that's where we've actually been journeying to. Like, it, it, we didn't realize until that moment. And we went, uh, I'm so grateful that we did because it, would have, it, was, it ended up being the last time we could have done it. Um, and two years ago, we went to his trap line together. And it was the first time he'd been there for 70 years. Uh, it was the first time I had ever been there. When I stepped off of the, uh, of the boat onto the land, I felt I'm home and dad's home, and we're here together. And it's something that I'll, I'll never, never forget. I'll never stop feeling grateful for that we had that time together. Um, and it did feel like the culmination of everything that we've been doing together. It also makes me feel that when I went back with my family the next year, that um, dad's still with me in the places that I go and the things that I remember of him. And that's been important for me to hold um, tight in the last you know, six, seven months as well. Yeah, I think it's important to all of us to understand where we come from. I think a lot of us crave that knowledge of our own history. I think that's why you see people spitting into a vial and shipping it halfway around the world to find out where we come from, because yeah. we crave it, David. I wish we had more time. We always run short of time with you. David Robertson, he's a governor, general award-winning writer. He's an author extraordinaire, and he's our friend here on The Start. David, thank you for this. Thank you, my friends. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.